Welcome to the Dream Big Nation podcast. In this show, veteran recruiter, wealth mentor, and entrepreneur, Lisa Williams, will take you on a journey of exploration and discovery to learn what it takes to hire yourself. Are you ready to dream big and grow into the person you're meant to become? If so, you're in for a treat. And now, here is your host, Lisa Williams. Hello, friends. Welcome back to our Dream Big Nation podcast. As you know, I just have an absolute fascination for people and their life stories and what's brought them to this amazing world of entrepreneurship. We have a special guest today, Mr. James LaRusso. James, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit about James. So we actually met through this fabulous coaching program that I've shared with you guys about before, Ms. Shanda Sumter. And James has been instrumental in helping me figure out my stuff on this program (laughs) because he's a huge support of of that. Just, I really would call her more of a movement than anything, wouldn't you, James? Like what she's doing for entrepreneurs. And we've just, we just connected. He actually has a background in recruiting like me. So connected on that front, but has just an incredible life story and a journey of completely reinventing himself in different iterations. So, so, you know, James, you, I think we should just dive right in and let's just get down and dirty because you just dropped some nuggets to me that people just need to know, you know, a little bit about where this current James has evolved to. Absolutely. Let's just go back a little in time and talk about maybe not so, you know, early upbringing, but then maybe some not so good times, but then evolution (laughs) into some wonderful times. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, my story is, I mean, my childhood's honestly super normal. I mean, I always say the only thing that was wrong with my childhood was that maybe dad wasn't around as much as I would like him to be, you know, aside from that typical suburban middle-class neighborhood super loving family, only child, maybe a little spoiled, you know, maybe a little bit. (laughs) But aside from that, you know, very normal, you know, I was a pretty good student, like pretty good life, played sports, all the things kind of popular, kind of not popular, you know, just very normal life. But when I was in early high school, my parents, my grandparents, excuse me, passed away. And they were well, my grandmother did first grandfather, maybe about six or seven years later, but that kind of started this like series of like, the family, the the glue of the family kind of came apart, you know, and then grandpa was the rock and then he got sick. And so when that all happened, my dad and I started to clash a little bit more. And and I found a lot of comfort through other people, you know, not having any brothers or sisters at home. I found a lot of comfort with, with other people. So I started hanging out with people, started hanging out with the wrong people. One thing kind of led to the next and, you know, drinking and and smoking pot and stuff like that became kind of my regular social environment in, in school. And then it started to become, at that time, I didn't understand, but I was becoming more and more dependent upon that, you know, and, you know, I tell everybody first before I, be, you know, to foreshadow, I, I am uh, in recovery, but at that point in time, I wasn't addicted to drugs and alcohol. What I was really addicted to was like fitting in. And I was addicted to the connection that I had with people. And I was certainly addicted to instant gratification. Like that was like the first piece for me. Okay. Make a note right there. We have to go back to that. Okay dependency and, and immediate gratification, just make a mental note. And so, so what ended up starting happening was I found different ways to, 
to feed that, that craving for instant gratification, you know? And so throughout high school, it just kind of expanded, you know, I became more and more dependent on drugs and alcohol. And then it, it kind of rolled into to my later uh, high school years where I, I left at 17. It was like, Hey mom and dad, I'm going to go do it on my own. I don't need you guys. You know, that whole, like, I thought did I you, knew. The did wor- you graduate? Did you graduate? I graduated. I just okay. thought, I, I thought I knew what the world was actually like. And little did I know I was very sheltered. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I moved, I moved down to, I moved out first and then to a friend's house in the area, but then I ended up moving and getting like as far away as possible kind of story. And I went to Florida from Chicago and started living with my, my cousin down there. And that just really inhibited me to kind of be crazy and wild. He was a few years older than me and allowed me to, to drink and to party and do all these things. He was sneaking me into bars, underage, like the whole thing, right? And this is kind of where my story takes a turn, right? And so while I was living in Florida, I was trying to make some money. And, you know, for the sake of time, essentially, I had, you know, a couple little jobs here and there. And I just, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I didn't feel like I was being treated right. And I was just getting really in, interfered with my employers, right? Because I was a spoiled brat and a young 19 year old or 18 year old at this point in time with a drug problem, right? So it was the world, not me. <laughs> and I ended up actually, I had a friend in Chicago who had been a, what he claimed as a male entertainer. And so he was dancing at like bachelorette parties and things of that nature. So I thought, what a great idea. Like, I'm going to put an ad on Craigslist to be a male entertainer. So I did so. And a very interesting fellow reached out to me and inquired uh, if I would be interested in participating in what they called all male porn. So that Wait, is. Now, I just have a question. I have <laughs> okay. to just ask a question. Okay. So you were 19. Okay. 18 at this point. Yeah. 18. And so I'm a mom of a 20 year old and an almost 18 year old. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. Were your folks aware of what was going on at this point? Oh, they were absolutely aware, at least of the, I don't think at the magnitude of my drinking and using that they were aware of at that point in time, they became aware very soon after this, (laughs) this whole situation started. But uh, yeah, like my mom, I was pretty open with, we, you know, the whole time during my whole life, I mean, my mom have just been like this. I think it had to do a lot with my lack of relationship with my biological father. And so that was probably, you know, the one person that I confide in the most on that side of my family. So she was aware, but I think my mom at that point had kind of lost hope for being able to support me because I had, I had pushed them away to a certain degree. So, you know, this wasn't my idea when I posted that ad, right. But what ended up happening is it got normalized. You know, I'm a straight male, like bottom line, I'm a straight male. I got invited to, to meet these people that shoot this all male porn and are, are, as they called it all male porn, but essentially gay porn. And it was normalized for me while I was there. There was a bunch of straight guys there. They were talking about their girlfriends. Some of them showed me pictures. I was like, wow, she's really attractive. You're going to have an attractive girlfriend and do this like, and make money. Like it just, it's just, it's, it's, isn't it crazy how think about when you were growing up and they wouldn't even show like a butt on television, you know, like just in normal television. And now it's like common for a bare, bare bottom to show. On television. Oh, yeah. And that's, it's just a very simple example of how exactly what you just said, it becomes acceptable mm-hmm. because others are, others are doing it that you think are like, these are, these are, you know, just normal guys like me. Oh, totally. And I think yeah. the the easy part for somebody that's like me, was one, I was influential, right? I had just moved away from home. I was using drugs and alcohol. I was out in the world and like living my best life and all these things. And I think the other part was, is that 
like for me being where I was in my, in my current state of mind, seeing people that had what I wanted, right. I wanted money. I wanted to feel like I belonged. I wanted, you know, it was that whole, like, I don't want to say I looked up to them necessarily as human, but I wanted what they had. And when you want what somebody have has, you'll follow what they do. Right. And so they essentially, without even knowing they were doing it, gave me the permission to ultimately say yes to this extremely peculiar thing for me to do at that point in time. Right. And so, you know, what ended up happening was like, this was a quick money grab for me. It was like, Hey, I'm going to make a few thousand dollars. Cool. Not so much. (laughs) What ended up happening was, is I got more addicted to the money that I was making. I got more addicted to drugs and alcohol. And, you know, fast forward eight years, I had ended up building an entire career in this business, right. To where I went from being some, you know, young kid to growing up in this industry and becoming a man in this industry and developing friends and relationships with people that weren't even identifying me with who I truly was as James LaRusso. Like they knew me as a different name. I had an alias, you know, so I went a long time really out of alignment with my true identity. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of that movie that Mark Wahlberg was in. Do you remember what, which one I'm talking about? And it, oh, you got to know it. And it was, Which, more, it was about the porn industry. Oh, was oh. it, was it the Boogie, or not Boogie yeah. Nights? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it Boogie Nights? Yeah. yeah. I'm like picturing, you know, just this young guy just grew up in a normal house and, you know, all of a sudden, and, and so commonly it does that kind of the avenue I've seen is that altered state that you know, drugs and alcohol. And I'm sure did your drugs start to change to get, to get heart more hardcore as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I shortly after getting into the industry, I found crystal meth, which was nothing that I had ever investigated. I do (laughs) all of them. I'm super, and these are mine actually. (laughs) So I'm super blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. I'm just fascinated <laughs> by this story. So <laughs> No, I know. I have cheeks now and everything. It's crazy. It's amazing what five years will do. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, fast forward. I mean, it, my drugs picked up. I actually went to treatment when I was 18 and thought, you know, crystal meth was the problem. And I would just do everything else. And I did that for five years and then ended up, I crashed and burned with crystal meth for the last two or three years. I, f- I picked it up again after a bad breakup. But, you know, I hadn't really drawn a sober breath since... 16 and at 26 years old, like life came to like a screeching halt. I got to a point in my life where I, I knew I didn't want to be doing what I was doing anymore, but I didn't have the resources to do anything else. You know, at 26, most kids are graduating high school during, or uh, college, excuse me, and they maybe have a master's degree at this point and they're building their career and bu- climbing the corporate ladder or doing whatever they're doing. And I'm sitting here like, I don't, I haven't even worked at Taco Bell. You know, it's not like I have a bad resume. I have zero resume and I have nothing to show for it, but like $25,000 worth of debt to the IRS because I was strung out, not paying my taxes on 1099s, you know? So it was like, what do I do? And the the thought at this, for this last six months that I was in the business, I was trying to get sober on my own, trying to get sober on my own. And I just couldn't pull myself together. And knowing that I was retiring, I set my last day, my last shoot. I was like, I'm done after this. Like, thank you. This has been great, I guess. But like, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I couldn't get, I couldn't stay sober because the impending doom of like, what the heck am I going to do with my life kept creeping up and uh, it scared, it scared the crap out of me, to be honest with you. It really did. And so do many people get out like you did? 
People do. And I think everybody has a different experience about this industry, which is the really interesting aspect of it. Like I have friends and, 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 you know, very close people in my life who, who have very different experiences with it. But I think more, it's more of a positive, like it's a career. Yeah. And I think some people experience negative things while they're doing it, but it's not the overall context of it isn't what it was for them as it was for me. I was out of alignment with who I am as a human being. I was out of alignment with my sexuality. I was, you know, I was not being truthful to to most people about what what I was doing with drugs and alcohol. I had my little circle that knew, but everybody else, I was just the socially acceptable things. You know, it just, it just broke me down mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, like everything just kind of crumbled. And, and that's where I found myself in June, 2015, I shot my last scene and, you know, I, I almost died that weekend. I, I hadn't slept for four days and I just found myself in New York city. I remember like being in a hotel room and being like, I would, if I, if these windows would open more, I would jump out of them. Like I just, I, w- I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Like I just, I had nowhere to go. My heart's pounding. I'm all alone. I'm strung out. I'm in this vast city surrounded by noise and things like liveliness. And I'm just like going crazy in, in my head. And uh, I came home from that and I struggled for like, was that June, 2015 until December of 2000 or October rather of 2015, just constantly ch- on and off the wagon for like four months, just trying and trying. Yeah, did you go home to your, your folks or? No, I went back to, to LA to my wife or well, my, now my wife, my, my girlfriend at, the, at that time's so house. You knew Ashley during this time. Yes. Yeah. She was with wow. me. We met May of 2014. I didn't get sober until October 5th of 2015. Now, was she, was she one of the promptings to get out of that, the, the sex trade, would you say? No, she was, uh, so she had her own level of involvement in that industry and that's kind of her story. So I'll let her have that, but she was very, she was supporting me with getting sober okay. and very supportive of me, you know, shifting my life around that. So she helped me a lot. I mean, she, that woman on not like I would say I was sober before I went to treatment. So I would say probably like October, like 10th or something like that. I, she drove me to treatment and handed them $7,000 in cash and was like, take this person and fix him, please. So, you know, what's interesting <laughs> is you said you were sober before you went to treatment. Yeah. And I find that actually is quite common because it's the the physical part of addiction. Would you agree is way easier to overcome than the the mental, emotional part of addiction? I would say yes, especially per- depending on the drug that you use or that if you use alcohol. For me, like crystal meth, like the come down or detox was way easier than somebody that's detoxing from alcohol or heroin, just because of what it physically does to your body, on like on a biological level. But yes, I would say, yeah, it's because it's easy to get sober and then forget about how bad it was when I wasn't using, when I was using and go well, back to you it. Know, <laughs> and what, what it, what makes me think of it is like, I, my father was an alcoholic growing up and mm-hmm. he was, he was a happy drunk, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I would go to Al-Anon and they, they would talk about the kind of the, the recovering alcoholics, but that they never really recovered from all the things that come with alcoholism, you know, the behaviors and things. So I was just curious if that was a harder journey than the physical part of recovery for you. Absolutely. And, and really what, how I determined that was I had been sober at this point 
minus like maybe smoking a little pot to sleep or something like that, which to me at that point was like absolutely nothing. Right. But aside from that, like it seemed very normal for me in in the sense of what I was ingesting into my body, but I was so broken. Like I just, I would pull, I would like get so upset. I would like grab my hair and like, I would actually like pull some of my hair out or like I would sit on the couch, the couch and just in a ball, like a, like a baby, like just curl up and cry because I just felt like the walls were closing in on me, you know, like I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know who I was going to, I didn't know who I was, let alone what I was going to do. You know what I mean? And so treatment was the only step for me at that point. It was like, put me somewhere where I can be supported, facilitated psychologically, all that good stuff. And, and that helped me a lot. But even after two years of sobriety and being very invested in, 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 you know, different 12 step programs and things of that nature at two years sober, I still felt like, what the hell did I get sober for? Because I wasn't living a vision driven life. I was living in the rooms of, of 12 step programs and, and which is great, right? I'm not I'm still highly participating in that, but there was just something missing. And that's where like emotional intelligence and transformational work and personal development, like really came in. And to answer your question is that's where transformation really started to happen in my life. When I had that what foundation to build your- on. What, who was your first kind of, you know, what content did you first start to absorb in that space? So before I got sober, I did Landmark Forum. So that was like my first, I don't know if you've ever heard of Landmark. No, who is, oh, I have. Well, who is that? I I have heard of this. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a large training. It's much more luxury, I would say, than like some of the, like, like, I know like the, the company that we were familiar with, Chanda's company, they do a training. I went through a very similar training at a different center called Ascension Leadership Academy. They're a much more immersive experiential type of program, which, which, which is good for me. I'm not a sit in a chair and listen to a person talk, especially you probably before. probably needed like, well, you were used to that physicality of your life. Yeah. I mean, that was, you had to be, I would imagine with where you came from and things. Totally. Yeah. 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 So that's so actually that the program started, I, I went that into. actually didn't start. So when did you first kind of start to discover this world of entrepreneurship and self-improvement and becoming the next better version of you? Yeah. So I, I, I enrolled into Ascension Leadership Academy and I started in April of 2018, I want to say. Yeah. And, and that's really where my journey kind of started. I was at at that point, I was like two, two and a half years sober. And I just knew there's a friend of mine who's also sober called me. He had done the training and he was like, James, this is, this is you, man. Like, this is like, this is who I see you as like, this is for you. And I had no money. I was like you know what I love? You know what I love about that is because I've I've known a lot of people that that have gone through a journey like you have. And oftentimes what ends up happening is they go work in treatment facilities and they work I with other 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 people other addicts and unfortunately, I mean, don't get me wrong, thank God they do. Mm-hmm. But I don't you agree like staying there too long will just almost bring you like put you back in the pit again. Yeah, I would say there's, it's a very, it's a very hard business to be in as an, as an addict. I think it's rewarding, but it's difficult. It's very difficult. I worked in treatment for a little bit and I worked at a place in San Diego. I won't name it because my experience there was terrible. I saw how disgusting like insurance fraud is and like, you know, what people will do to keep somebody in treatment and keep their insurance paying them. It was just like, 
I'm like, oh, don't get me started on that topic. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. It's so disgusting. Our whole it's terrible. Like, healthcare system is disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I got to get out of here, you know. And I and so like that's you know once I started that leadership program, I, my, I saw I had a friend in, in Phoenix, and he introduced me to an opportunity working in sales out in in Phoenix. And I was like, you know what? Like this is a new me. I'm doing like all this new stuff. Like I'm just gonna move to California or from California. Never imagined I'd live in the desert. And I was like, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to work in corporate America. This is the answer. I have health insurance. Never have had that before. I have a paycheck every Friday. I've never had that before. Like, this is the is that answer. Where you, is that when you did your recruiting stint? Yeah, I went to, I went and started oh, okay. working at Zipper at ZipRecruiter. Yeah. As oh, a, as that's a, as, right. I forgot yeah. you were at Zip. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a, a hiring strategist and, you know, essentially I worked on their sales team. So, so like, this was the answer, right? And I did great. Like I made almost the same amount of money that I was making when I was doing my crazy stuff in the day with zero consequences. I was able to buy a house, like I live, I bought a house, you know, I have all these beautiful things, but like, again, that like all the training that I was doing, I'm like going and training in San Diego in the weekend. And then I started coaching the training because like fell in love with the work. And I'm like, these things are not aligned, you know? And uh, I was ready to get out of there. And I just, I, I, I had an opportunity to come up working with the company that we discussed with Hardcore Business and, and Shanda and, and, and I, my, my, the co-founder of the company that I work for, Deidre, they were like, hey, we want you to come staff our leadership program with us. And I was like, absolutely, I'm down. And then me and Deidre started talking about this, this company. And I told her like how tired I am in my job. And I was like, I want to have my own business. And she's like, well, that's what we help people do. And then like, how amazing would it be to work for a company where you can learn how to create your own business? And I was just like, so I can like get free training and be surrounded by entrepreneurs and make money at the same time, like sign me up, you know? And so You're that's like, kind of where I okay, got where Lord, I'm at this is what you, Lord, this is what you've been preparing me for, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I felt yeah. so for the first time in my life, I felt like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like I'm supposed to feel like this is the answer, right? And so so now it's I, I have simultaneously am now currently actually building my business up, right? While I'm while I have a, a steady, I'm contracted. So I'm not like an employee of the company, but I'm working directly with these amazing entrepreneurs every day. And Shanda, and your like, your 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 business is a coaching business, correct? Correct. Yeah. So it's coaching okay. and consulting for for people in sobriety, but also just general overall transformational work. My whole idea is like my whole vision, should I say, is turning pain into purpose. Like I've experienced such a wild ride of of insanity with with relationships, drugs, alcohol, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. You know, going to. I mean, I did. I didn't do like hard time, but I've been arrested a couple of times because of the shenanigans that I was getting into, you know, broken families, disconnected relationships. Like this is my story has led me to here for a reason. Right. And I don't think it's to like sit on this stuff and be like, Hey, I conquered it. It's for me to like dig up even deeper underneath everything that occurred. So I can really share that with the world and give people the opportunity to transform their life. Oh, your story has to, I am so excited to be part of getting your story out. I just like, I, I remember when we first met and I know it was just like on a quick connect, you know, like, Hey, come and, you know, get some support from us. But I just love your energy. And I had no clue, holy cow, that you've had this crazy life experience, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm so excited for you. And now, you. now tell us what's coming. Cause I know there's yeah. some really special things coming. Yeah, so I'm I'm currently working with a business coach and consultant. He actually owns uh, a publishing company and was a like a master in his field of marketing and branding for many many years. He is supporting me with building a a podcast and 
it's not, you know, like a podcast like this per se, as much as it's more of a storytelling kind of episode weekly for like a season. So it's, it's not going to be an ongoing thing. It's going to be like one season and then we're going to launch another season. And I'm really excited about it because it's categorizing my life. And so it's like, what happened or what it was like, kind of what happened and like, what's, what it's like now. And I'm going to give somebody, everybody that whole journey in very deep detail. So if this sparked your interest <laughs> and you want to hear, yes. you know, the whole Florida I'm story. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to be your first subscriber, James. You let me know when, <laughs> as soon as you get that syndication, you know, that domain and all that yeah. good stuff, you let me know. <laughs> I will. I will. Thank you. And I'm excited about it because it's something I've hesitated. People have been telling me for years, James, you got to write a book. You got to do this. I'm like, man, you just want to hear more of the, the mess, you know? And I didn't realize that like really, I was inspiring people before I knew before I was in a relationship with the fact that I was inspiring people, I was actually inspiring people. And so they really wanted the message they wanted, but I was so stuck in the, in the, in the negativity of what had occurred in my life that I didn't see that they really wanted the message I thought they wanted the mess. And I thought they wanted the, the nitty gritty, dirty, crazy stories. And then really they, they see me as like an inspiration and as a leader but until, and, and this goes for everybody out there, until you see yourself as what you're truly capable and of and how you actually show up in the world, nothing anybody says or sees you as is going to matter. So the most important thing for you to do is look at yourself in the mirror and be like, one, I am an amazing human being. And two, like I have the, the, the capability of changing the world. And once you really tap into that, it was like the floodgates opened, you know, and all of a sudden anything is possible, you know, and Nothing really well, changed what, except for my perception. You know, what I love, it sounds as though, because I think what happens a lot of times when people have gone through just such a, an incredible transformational story, people people really, they connect with the pain. But I think what's beautiful about your story is you're really trying to help people like realize the, the glory of, of recovery and the glory of what. God means for your life to be like and stepping into that glory. And you're going to, I'm so excited to see what you're going to do. It's going to be amazing because your, your story is not just a, it's certainly a part of it, your pain that you went through, but the the best part is what's coming. That's so yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, I always, I always so. tell everybody, you know, in your life, God, God will tap you on the shoulder sometimes. And then if you ignore him, he'll, he'll give you a nudge. And then if you ignore the nudge, sometimes it takes like a two by four, like, you know, and, and I had to wait for the two by four. And sometimes I had to wait for a few two by fours to, to knock yeah. me upside the head. And like, you know, the more I align myself with what I know my divine purpose is, the easier my life gets, you know, yeah. like when I do this podcast planning and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm writing out my story and I'm getting it all out. Like it's so organic. So like yeah. find what it is that you love to do and do it. And if you need to do something else while you're doing it, like pay the bills, do that. But do what you love to do is like, and do what feels genuine and right. And, and I never understood people when they're like, it gets to be easy. It doesn't have to be hard. And then I started doing what I truly love to do. And I'm like, wow, this really isn't that hard. You know, isn't it funny? I know. Yeah. <laughs> when I mean, I, I always tell people like when someone tells me, for example, they're not a salesperson, I I'm like, you know what, honey, you just haven't found what gets you excited yet. Because mm -hmm. when people really find what they get excited about in life, you can't shut them up. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> I can relate to that. 
<laughs> I can relate to that. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm grateful to have that space and have the platform that I have and, and, you know, the support of people. I mean, it's wild. I, I still have a lot of people that follow me that knew me from, from back in the day, whether they are fans or whatever. And I still get, you know, you get the, you know, the disturbed kind of messages, but I get a lot of people that like, I put a clip from a podcast I did last week and they're like, Oh, I'm so excited to hear this podcast and hear your story. Like, thank you. It's been so nice to get to meet you. And, and it's why my social media is like my tag on Instagram is I am LaRusso. Cause it's all about me identifying with like who I am, like who I be as a human being. Cause I had lost that for so long. And I think people lose it to a multitude of things. It's, it's your job. It's being a mom. It's, it's, it's being a dad. It's, it's, you know, all of these different things in life can suck your identity out of you. You know, your dreams and your aspirations and your vision as a kid or as a young adult before you got a career or a kid or whatever, a wife or a husband, whatever it is, those things still live inside of you. Don't ignore them, you know, and, and be true to those things. Cause that's really what's going to carry you forward to be happy with that wife, that husband, that kid, you know, whatever the case is. And if you identify, like, I don't like to identify as a drug addict or an alcoholic. I identify as a recovered addict and recovered alcoholic. I don't want to forget where I came from, but I'm not going to say like that. I'm not in a state of recovered, you know, I'm renewed, I'm reborn. I'm in a new place. It doesn't mean that it wouldn't suck me right back in, but I'm not going to entertain it as an option, you know? So yeah, that's, I mean, that's really the story I tell. Think about the example you're setting. There's so many kids right now that are just, you know, this COVID crisis, it's thrown everyone for a loop. And so many kids are out of sorts and they're not, they have no, you know, they're graduating from high school and college and they're like, what do I do now? You know, and you have, your story is going to just, it's going to reach so many people. I can't wait to see it. So my gosh, my friend, we are over time actually. I knew we would have some fun together. (laughs) I I was as as detailed and as quick as possible. (laughs) I know, exactly. Well, I want to make sure we have you on again when you've started, like when you're maybe, you know, six months into it. And let's just like, I love watching people on their journey of, you know, discovery and just finding what are they truly meant to, to do with these gifts God gave us. And I just think you're doing such a good job. I'm excited. So I lovely to call you a new friend. We're going to have a lot of fun together. I, at some point in the future, we're going to do something too. It'll be fun. Aside from this. Yes, let's <laughs> do it. I'm down. Okay, cool. Well, hey, thank you so much, James, for sharing your story with us in your afternoon. And to my amazing Dream Big Nation listeners, I'm so blessed to be a part of your day. And I hope these stories are bringing you some inspiration to continue to dream and find your best self. And as you know, we're on a mission to empower, equip, and inspire 1 million people to hire themselves. And we found yet another brave soul that's done that. So bless you all in this amazing life journey, and we'll see you soon. Hey, Dream Big Nation community. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about working with Lisa and her team directly, go to lisawilliamsco.com and learn how to hire yourself.